It's time for The Outspoken Cyclist, your weekly conversation about bicycles, cyclists, trails, travel, advocacy, the bike industry, and much, much more. You can subscribe to our weekly podcast at OutspokenCyclist.com or through your favorite podcatching app to listen anytime. Now here's your host, Diane Jenks. Hello and welcome to The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm your host, Diane Jenks. Thanks for tuning in today. It is fitting that February is Black History Month as my first guest is author David Goodrich and his newest book, which will be released on Tuesday, February 7th, is titled On Freedom Road, Bicycle Explorations and Reckonings on the Underground Railroad. What David learned in his three-part, eight-week journey along portions of the Underground Railroad might just give you a very different perspective on the routes, the people, and even the country as he searches for sacred places and lost people. Then, after our break, I speak with Patrick Conlon, one of the volunteer members of the Bike JC, Jersey City Advocacy Organization. Just across the river from Manhattan, Jersey City, New Jersey, is a very different kind of cycling community, and Bike JC has had a big hand in helping to expand protected bike lanes, institute a Vision Zero policy that actually works, and offer up a community event that everyone can enjoy. Patrick will be with me after the break. David Goodrich is a retired climate scientist, and in the first two books we reviewed with him, we learned about how people felt about climate change as he rode across the country, and about the tar sands and their impact on the communities as oil companies tried to extract the quote-unquote dirty oil, as it's known. Now, in what might be almost prophetic, David has refocused his attentions on slavery in his new book, On Freedom Road, with an exploration of the Underground Railroad. From revisiting Highway 61, or the Blues Highway, as Bob Dylan fans will relate, all the way up into Canada, David gives us an intimate journey on the route. Hello, David. Welcome back to the Outspoken Cyclist. Thanks for joining me again. It's going to be nice to talk with you. It's, it's wonderful to be back with you, Diane. Well, you know, back in 2017, we spoke about your book, A Hole in the Wind, and you rode your bicycle cross-country, speaking with people about climate change. And, and we will let people know why you have the authority to speak about climate change in a really positive way. Then in 2020, you wrote a book at, at that called a, a Voyage Across an Ancient Ocean. And I remember that was about the tar sands. And that was interesting. But this one, we've talked about the Underground Railroad off and on on the show for years. And this book is really interesting. It actually is going to be available, I think, tomorrow, right? Um, it'll be available on Tuesday. Oh, okay. Which is the, what day is that? The 6th? 7th. The 7th. Okay. Yep. So we are speaking on Friday, which is February 3rd. The name of the book is On Freedom Road, Bicycle Explorations and, Reckon and Reckonings on the Underground Railroad. So it really takes a different tact uh, as you rode many of the Underground Railroad paths and discovered people we may not have thought of or known to places from a perspective we may never have expected. So what brought your attention to the Underground Railroad? I mean, we had tar sands and we had climate, which is really your background. Where did the Underground Railroad come into it? So a, a bit of serendipity. Uh, when I was doing my first ride across to, to Oregon from the East Coast, I stopped at a, a little out-of-the-way museum in Vandalia, Illinois. And the woman there was showing me this big brass ring. And she said, this is a slave collar. And it's, and it's like, oh, wow, okay. And then I, I realized I was sort of crossing the route of this unseen stream from a long, from a long time ago. And I like riding with a sense of, of history. And in the back of my mind, I, I sort of filed that away as I, I should really do this. And adventure cycling, um, which probably, probably your listeners know, know very well, has a route called the Underground Railroad. I thought I should ride that. So that was one thing. And then the other 
aspect was when I went to England to sort of visit some ancestral grounds. There we are. There is a Goodrich Castle in west in Western England, and I was wandering through the Museum of the Commonwealth there, and they had an exhibit on John Goodrich, who was also a sea captain in in, in Bristol, and I discovered. Oh wait, he was a captain on the Middle Passage, and it's just you just kind of step back a little bit, and it's like, oh, they 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 talk about some of the the history lessons that make you uncomfortable. Well, that's was certainly a history lesson that could make me uncomfortable, and he had very good records, uh, so it just brought home to me that this this is something that we've all got a piece of, almost whether we we know it or not. So that that was that was kind of the uh, what brought my attention to it, if you will. I want to go through a little bit. I do not want to give away a lot of what you have to say because the book is in depth. It's got some really interesting um, stops along the way. I know there's a I can't remember his name. Somebody here in Ohio used to take kids from New York City and bring them out here and do part of the Underground Railroad by bike. But that was just one little chunk of it. And it's, I think, a much longer route than we might have remembered. So where did you start your journey on uh, on Freedom Road? The first ride that I took was this adventure cycling route from Jackson, Mississippi, up to, uh, in, in my case, Lake Erie. That was about, about 1,500 miles. And when was that? That was in 2015. Okay. And then um, a friend of mine who's also a cyclist and a blues guitarist said, oh, wow, you're going right through the Mississippi Delta. You, you know, you can't just ride through there. And he, he rode with me on a, a second route. I remember at the time we called it uh, Highway 61 uh, Revisited because that, that was the, the Bob Dylan uh, yep. album. And Highway 61 is the blues highway. So he rode with me, uh, Rick Sullivan, and he had a folding guitar on the back of the bike. And we would have blues concerts in the motel rooms at night, along with going to the sites of many of the, the places on the Mississippi Blues Trail. When you come into Mississippi, there's a sign that says, Home of America's Music. It's like, yeah, um, sure enough. And then the, the third route was more recent. I wanted to follow Harriet Tubman's route from Cambridge, Maryland to Ontario, town of St. Catharines, Ontario, that, which was uh, about a thousand miles, actually 943, I think. And uh, that was that route, the reason it was so long was because by 1850, when she was bringing, bringing people, friends and family out from slavery, that it wasn't really safe anywhere in the United States because of the fugitive slave law. Even though you had free states, nominally free states, that didn't mean that, that the slave hunters were not with you the whole time. So she basically said, I had to take my, I had to take my people all the way to Canada. And there is a little town called St. Catharines in Ontario where her chapel is. So that's interesting that I don't know if a lot of us knew that there was a fugitive slave law. So apparently it's like bounty hunters for slaves were out there? Absolutely. Um, in, the, uh, in the Ohio River Valley, there were these slave hunting gangs on both sides of the river, on the Ohio side, on the Indiana side. And there were people that were nabbed in upstate New York. There were people that were nabbed in, uh, in northern Ohio. Uh, it was a very lucrative business. They were like dragged back to the plantations where they left? Exactly. There wow. Was, uh, I mean, they were considered very valuable property. And it was kind of by any means necessary. These people would be uh, would be hauled back. And, and very often they were taken to the, the U.S. Marshal's office. In Troy, New York, one of the more famous rescues from Harriet Tubman, the there was was a, a guy who was nabbed where she happened to be in town, and Harriet Tubman was part of the mob that basically stormed the marshal's office to uh, free this guy. Charles Now was his name. Wow, 
Let me take a moment to reintroduce you. We're speaking with David Goodrich. He worked at the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Atmospheric Administration, served as the director of the UN Global Climate Observing System in Geneva, Switzerland, and he retired at the as the head of NOAA's Climate Observation and Monitoring Program. And then he started this stuff, <laughs> this crazy stuff, writing great books with this climate background. I mean, it's also pertinent today. We've got climate, we've got um, the Black Lives Matter. We have so many things sort of converging and you're writing books that just sort of juxtapose into all of those things. It's just amazing, amazing. So how long did it take to do the portions of the uh, Underground Railroad that you did that you could then stop and start writing the book? Well, I, I sort of did it in, in three separate years, in 2015, 17, and 19. The original Underground Railroad ride from uh, Jackson to Lake Erie took me about a month. This route along Highway 61, that was a, only about 10 days. That was from New Orleans to Clarksdale, Mississippi, which is the heart of the Delta Blues. And then the following Harriet Tubman's route took me about three weeks. Okay, so altogether, you were about seven, eight weeks on the road, about two months, a little yep. over two months. Wow, wow. Yep. So um, what were you riding? Are you? St- I, I remember we've talked about your bikes in the past. What were you riding for this particular um, exploration, these three rides? For the first two, I was riding my uh, my old... Uh, old reliable Trek 520. It's it's kind of the horse of the Trans Am. I'm sure you've had people on that that sing its praises. I mean, it's a it's a remarkable remarkable bike. Yep, it's a uh, mule. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, I bought a new new mule for the uh, Harriet Tubman ride. Uh, Commotion, the wonderful bikes that they make out in Oregon. It's like okay, it's it, um, I'm I'm ready for something a little. Uh, uh, a little bit different, and it's a it's a wonderful machine. Yeah, the commotions are pretty much hand built still. Yep. And yep. as I now, we were a commotion dealer for a long time. We we don't sell them right now, so it probably has disc brakes. It does. Yep. Yeah, and uh, wide tires. That's they're really nice. They're bulletproof bikes, bombproof bikes. They're yeah. great. Yeah. Plus, plus with the uh, with the Schwalbe Marathon tires, I feel like I could run over a landmine and still. Uh, <laughs> Let's hope you don't have that. Let's hope you don't have that experience. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with David some more. Uh, I want to talk about the book itself. You're listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. are back on the outspoken cyclist i'm speaking with david goodrich he is a retired um climatologist is that the right word no climatologist climate scientist yes climate scientist on the other hand he's also a historian and an author and we're talking about his new book on freedom road bicycle explorations and reckonings on the underground railroad so we we mentioned that it seems really pertinent today with a lot of things that are going on that you would explore this underground railroad give us a bit of background on on the parts that drew your attention the the parts of the underground railroad where people either stopped or you did talk about the place in troy new york what what about this these different places where you stopped and picked up information were so relevant and sort of compelling one of the one of the places that was really compelling for me was in Albany, New York, where there is the Stephen and Harriet Myers residence, which is an original Underground Railroad house that's kind of lovingly uh, restored by a couple, uh, Paul and Mary Liz Stewart, who also have this Underground Railroad Education Center. And I was riding with uh, uh, Lynn Salvo on this ride, who's been on your show. And she and I, we were just trying to find this place in the pouring rain. And we think we're lost. And we roll up, it's like, I think this is the right place. And then this guy gets out of the car with a bag of sandwiches. And he said, if you'd given us a little more advance notice, we would have had a brass band for you. That was Paul Stewart. And he invites us into, invites us into the Myers residence. And 
one of the stories he tells is actually kind of a recent story of, of Albany where they found in a sewer project, they're doing digging, they found the remains of 14 enslaved people in 2005. And it's like, wow, what, what do we do here? And it really took about 10 years for Albany to figure out what to do. And it was a consultation uh, project with the community. It's like, what would these people have wanted us to do? And what ended up happening was something close to magical. They decided after, you know, seeing what the bones could tell them, where these people came from, they even had a uh, a reconstruction of the face of of one of the one of the women who looks like someone who could be right down the street from you and and they finally had they said okay we're going to rebury these remains in ossuaries in little wooden boxes but we will have people from all over the all over the northeast in new england woodworkers artists kids um, to design these ossuaries and they're beautiful. Um, and there is a, a ceremony in 2016 where there is poetry and singing and dancing in, in the Schuyler mansion. Those who know Hamilton, this was the room next to where Alexander Hamilton and Eliza Schuyler were married. And in this room, there is this celebration that, you know, people talk about, I, I don't know you know, it's uh, the pictures on the last, uh, uh, the last page of the book. It's like, this is about reconciliation. Um, it was, was quite an amazing, very moving, moving story. They, they told me. Wow. 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 So you saw the ossuaries, you got to see them. There are pictures of them. So were they actually reburied? They were reburied. Wow. A, were they a, able to identify any of these people? They did not know the names. They know where they came from. Hmm. Um, I mean, there were mostly from West Africa. There was one who was from a, a First Nations tribe in Canada, the Micmacs. And they actually consulted with the Micmacs on what sort of funeral arrangements should happen. It was it was all done with, with a great deal of care. And it's like everyone wanted to, to pitch in on this. Yeah, was 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 kind of amazing, and there's a big sculpture there that's still there in, in the uh, Myers residence uh, from a woman who. Uh, it's a big concrete glass multimedia sculpture um, about the the fourteen. Wow. And you cover this, of course. I mean, yeah. you cover oh. so many cool things in this book. So we talk about freedom today. We talk about slavery today. There's a lot, there seem to be a lot of misconceptions about what was true and what wasn't true. Can you give us an example of what we might think we know or have been taught and what you found to be incorrect or just a lie in your research as you rode this trail? Well, I think first off that the Underground Railroad was primarily Black people helping Black people. Um, not to say that there weren't courageous white people along the way. I, I visited, talked with the Quakers. Uh, Ripley, Ohio is a big center for uh, abolition. But on the ground, there were many black people helping folks along their way, and they would be risking re-enslavement or death or prison. Really, uh, no doubt about it. There were a lot, an awful lot of, of free black people who were swept up in these, um, in the, with these uh, slave gangs. Also, I think the scale of, um, of this whole enterprise is something that I didn't really realize. I mean, the, the Underground Railroad is, is a real thing. It was important, but there are probably about 20,000 thereabouts people who made their way, made their way to freedom. And it was, was a, certainly a big thing for every one of them. But if you compare that to the number of people who were sent south from the upper south to the to the lower south for the booming cotton industry, that was on the order of a million people. Hmm. And you have uh, one of the people right in that town of Ripley, John Parker, as an eight-year-old 
he walks chained from Richmond, Virginia to Mobile, Alabama um, in these slave coffles. They were everywhere around here. And around here, meaning in Maryland, was a slave state at, at the time. I think uh, one of the people that I I read quite a bit, there's an author by the name of Clint Smith, and he says that the history of slavery is not peripheral to our founding, it was central to it. New York City, uh, one of the things that really kept the economy of New York going before the Civil War is the cotton trade. And there were there were cotton traders, there were people with slaves in New York City, there were these, these uh, gangs were all around New York City, basically putting putting a dragnet, throwing people in, including, um, I mean, Frederick Douglass was lucky when he arrived in New York that he talked to the right person and managed to avoid the the gangs that were around New York at the time. It's not like, boy, this was, you know, some little little aberration early in our history. It was a, was a very big part of, uh, of the economy of the U.S. Um, prior to the Civil War. So I'm going to actually kind of wrap it up with that because uh, you're seeing things like this AP course of of um African studies being um summarily dismissed in Florida. You're seeing books being banned all over the country and you begin to wonder why and who is so afraid of what might really be true. And so What's so good about this book is that you expose a lot of truths. And so I'm going to encourage people to sit down and read it. Yes, there's bicycles. You rode this trail, this road, On Freedom Road with David Goodrich. He wrote A Hole in the Wind, which was an excellent book, too. And a voyage across an ancient ocean, which has nothing to do with the ocean. <laughs> it has to do with the tar sands. So are you writing anything else? Are you ready for book four? Well, uh, I, I did have a ride last year across the Permian Basin, uh, New Mexico and Texas. And and I remember one of the oilmen said, oh, the, the blog looks interesting, but you have to be some kind of an ill-informed nutcase to to ride across there. And I'm thinking, boy, there's a title there. <laughs> <laughs> the ill-informed nutcase. <laughs> well, the ill-informed nutcase project. <laughs> well, I will look forward to that. Uh, where can people get a copy? It will be out on Tuesday, February 7th. Uh, it is by Pegasus. And, and they're such a great house, publishing house. Yes, they are. They, they are terrific. And they really like bicycle-themed uh, books because they do a lot of the ones that I am able and privileged to review on Freedom Road. So where can they get it? It is on Amazon. It's on the major platforms. But I'd also say um, go down to a local bookstore. <laughs> browse, browse around there. And if they don't have it, ask them to order it. David, it's always good to catch up with you. And I appreciate you taking time to talk with me on this frigid, frigid day. I hope you have a great winter and get back out there soon. Thank you very much, Diane. It's been a pleasure always. Take care. My thanks to David Goodrich for joining me today. I know some of you think politics shouldn't be part of the show, but it's difficult for me to stand by and see books and college preparatory subjects being banned in an effort to either quash history or rewrite it. I think you'll find David's account of the Freedom Road, the Underground Railway, to be an eye-opener with a lot of fascinating historical facts and artifacts. On Freedom Road will be available on February 7th from all the usual places. Let's take a break, and when we return, we'll speak with Bike JC's Patrick Conlon. You're listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. We are back on The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm your host, Diane Jenks. I have to admit, I didn't know much about New Jersey, but was really pleased to learn about cycling there from Bike JC's board member, Patrick Conlon. Bike JC, which is Bike Jersey City, began about 13 years ago, 
and with an all-volunteer organization and advisory board, has grown organically. But the clout they've managed to muster has produced some great results and is a model many other mid-sized cities might want to emulate. Hello, Patrick. Welcome to The Outspoken Cyclist. Thanks for being my guest today. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good. You are in Jersey City. Well, this, this is part of the story. So I'm actually not in Jersey City. <laughs> okay, let's figure out. Where are you? I'm actually in Biddeford, Maine. Ooh, is it cold? It's Well, it's getting there. And it's going to get really cold this weekend. But um, yeah, I lived in Jersey City for uh, quite a number of years. And right off the top of my head, I forget the number, but close to 30 something. And uh, about a year ago, my wife and I decided to move north. And um, we, we've been uh, in the southern Maine area for vacation a bunch of times. And she has some family here. And we kind of fell in love with the town of Biddeford. It's a really sweet little place. And um, it's about uh, 20 minutes south of Portland. Maine, right on the coast. You know, my work with Bike JC in Jersey City continues uh, remotely. So all the board members said, ah, you can do the podcast. You know, that's something you can do remotely. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do it. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm, so I'm officially at this point uh, a kind of a, an advisor to the organization. Um, I was president of the organization for about six years, and I, I was in the process of doing that. I was also um, running a community bicycle shop in Newark, New Jersey. I don't know. I guess I just had I was carrying a little bit too big of a load and kind of got a little burnt out. I know exactly all about that. Yeah, as people as, as a lot of people who work in in advocacy fields, uh, tend to understand that pretty quickly, you know. Um, Are you retired? So actually, I'm. I'm not. Uh, I, I that was kind of the goal, but I guess it just doesn't suit my personality to retire. Uh, so I moved here, and relatively quickly, I got a job working at uh, Gorham Bike and Ski. It has about seven locations in in southern Maine and one in New Hampshire, I believe. And I I worked there as a bike mechanic because I have that uh, that skill set as well. Um, so that was nice and got to know some people through there. And in the process of working there, I met the executive director of the Eastern Trail, which is southern Maine's portion of the East Coast Greenway. And uh, now I work for the Eastern Trail Alliance. Well, let's talk a little bit about Bike Jersey City, Bike JC, uh, and and I'd like to know about the organization itself. I don't know much about New Jersey as a state, but other than Newark, which is where the airport is. Right, right. Yeah, most people know where Newark is because they've flown into the airport or they know the beach towns because they go to the shore, uh, Asbury Park and what have you. Um, so Jersey City is is right across the river from Manhattan. Sometimes people call it the sixth borough, which we don't care to refer to it that way. But it's a great mid-sized city. Um, and Bike JC started our work there about uh, 13 years ago. And essentially, I know we're going to talk. You wanted to talk about the Ward Tour, which is like our big bicycle ride event that we do. Yeah, I want to do that toward the end so we can get. Yeah, but that's how I kind of got connected with the organization was through through that event. Um, and, uh, and that's kind of how the organization even started, really. There was a suggestion of like, well, let's do a group ride and see how many people turn out, you know. And it was advertised and worked with the city on it. And I think they had like 250 people for the very first one. Yeah, that's called Be Careful What You Wish For. Right, right. Well, now now the that ride is, is, is quite a bit larger. Um, but that was how I kind of got introduced to the organization. And that's how the organization got started. And I was actually riding my bicycle home uh, from work one day. And some guy came up to me in the car at a stop sign with the window rolled down and said, hey, there's a big bike ride tomorrow. Do you know about this? And he handed me a flyer out the window of his car, you know, and I said, no, I don't know anything about it, but it looks like fun. I guess I'll go, you know. So I went the next day and did my first ward tour ride. And I was, you know, kind of 
smitten with the organization and the whole thing and got involved and, you know, and then became president of it. And uh, we did a lot of work and continue to do a lot of work. Let me reintroduce you. And then we're going to talk a little more about the organization because it is all volunteer, which isn't always the case with some advocacy groups. We're speaking with Patrick Conlon. He was the president of Bike Jersey City in New Jersey. Um, Now he's an advisor. I assume you're on the board. Yes. So that is what you said when I contacted the organization through Twitter, which is where I saw a a post about the organization, and that it is all volunteer. So who makes up some of the members of the board besides you? Are we looking at professionals? Are we looking at advocacy people? Who, Who works with the organization? Not necessarily names, but sort of how their involvement is. I would say the involvement of of board members with Bike JC is has it's evolved very organically. It's more it's mostly like people seeing people riding around and and getting to meet people, and then you know we always kind of had a process of somebody becoming sort of like a, a a volunteer and and showing that they're interested, and then you know turning out like at event after event, you know, to help out and getting to know them. And then eventually saying, you know, like, you you seem really, really interested in what we're doing. You're always turning out to volunteer to help with this event or that event. Um, Would you be interested in in getting, you know, more involved in becoming a board member? And and if you do, there is more work involved to do that. Um, We're kind of warning you. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, like be prepared. But, you know, everybody who's who's done that over the years has has always stepped up. And um, we've had, you know, there's always been a president, a vice president, um, secretary, treasurer um, and how these people, they, everybody brings a different skill to the table. You know, we, we've got a, a new board member right now who um, used to work for EMT, you know, so he's actually a certified, you know, emergency medical technician. And he's in the process right now putting together a class to teach like first first aid and stuff to to cyclists. So if they're out riding and somebody falls, they know what to do to help somebody, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. So we've got we've got that skill level on the board now. We've got someone who's a incredible computer programmer who helps with the website and, you know, and and is just super fast with all kinds of computer things. I don't know half the things that he does. He's he's really great. And in and the present president, uh, Ayla, uh, she actually went to grad school for planning. So she has a plan, a planning uh, background and education as well. Um, and our vice president, uh, Tony, has just been a Jersey City hardcore guy from uh, for forever and uh, is is super well educated about, you know, bike infrastructure. And he's taken taken himself on trips to Copenhagen and Amsterdam and, you know, places like that to learn. You know, he's just taken it upon himself to, like, educate himself and be really knowledgeable about, you know, how other countries do things and, and how he can bring that knowledge to Jersey City. And he's been a huge asset for many, many years. Well, it sounds like you have a really well-rounded board. And that brings me to my next question, which is what kinds of programs or projects are you working on now and have you completed in the past? Is there anything in the recent past that has happened? I know we had this big infrastructure bill. Some monies were available for not necessarily advocacy organizations, but certainly for bike infrastructure. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I'm sh- I'm I don't really know how much uh, it, how they're taking advantage of that stuff in Jersey City right now, but in the past, um, a lot of grants were applied for and received. So a lot of the bike infrastructure that we advocated for and that the city got on board with um, was funded uh, without the taxpayer's dollar. Um, you know, the local taxpayer dollar. Um, but essentially, you know, besides doing the war tour ride each year, um, where we kind of took a, a turn for real advocacy was was and 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 actually getting change happening um, was we decided on one road and, and we said this road is is like the most dangerous. So we worked to try to gather data from that road 
and then bring that data to the city and show like the average speed of cars on that road. And, and, and we essentially got the city to sign on to like, let's fix that road. You know, let's change that one road. Let's, and, and it was decided it went from a four to three road diet. We added uh, protected bike lanes on both sides. Um, and all of a sudden you started seeing people ride bikes on that road that would never ride bikes on that road before. Were you involved in that? Were you around? So I have a question. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I have a question about the pushback. Uh, uh -huh. You know, people get all pissy about taking away their lanes of driving and everything else. Are there businesses on that road? There are. And 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 a few of them were allies for sure. Uh, and, 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 and some were not, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure, you know, like a lot of times the thing was about that road is there actually wasn't parking on that road. So it wasn't a question of taking away parking, which is always the biggest fight usually. Right. Um, but narrowing, narrowing it down to where it was one lane each way with a turning lane in the middle with the, you know, the result of the road diet, um, it, it showed itself to not be an, a problem really, really quickly. Um, so people kind of just accepted it pretty fast. Um, but the other thing that that really turned the page for us was getting, uh, when the mayor was up for re-election for the first time, uh, we we held, there was another small organization, which I should mention also in Jersey City called Safe Streets JC, which was they were kind of more geared towards pedestrian safety and, you know, walking. And we were like the bike group. So we each kind of, you know, we worked together. And when the mayor was up for re-election, uh, the two organizations got together and, and held a transportation forum uh, and got the mayor and his challenger to commit to coming to that and answering questions that, that were all about street safety. Um, so we really kind of put them on the spot and said, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Um, and at that forum, the mayor said, um, if reelected, he would make a, a an executive um, action to commit the city to Vision Zero. Uh, and he and so that was something that that really kind of turned the page for us. So so now we had the administration admitting and saying admitting that there's a problem and wanting to do something about it. Uh, a, a safety problem, a safety issue. And I assume he was reelected. He was. And yeah. did he did he institute Vision Zero? He did. And has it made a difference? It has. There you go. Has. You can't yeah. really argue with that. <laughs> Let me once again reintroduce you. We're speaking with Patrick Conlon from Bike Jersey City. This is awesome. You know, it's like, let's get an organization together and get stuff done. So that's just amazing that you actually put the mayor and the, and his challenger together for a transportation conversation, something about infrastructure exactly. for biking. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. What's happened since then? When was that? When was he reelected? Oh, wow. Let's see. That was, when was the last election? Uh, 20, 2020. Okay. So that would have been 16, 2016. And is he yeah. still mayor? He is, but he's he has announced recently that he's not going to run for a fourth term. So he's in his he's in his third term now. He uh, yeah, he's he's basically said it's time for someone else, you know, to step in. He said, I know there's no term limits and, you know, and he could probably win another term. But um, he, he you know, I think he has aspirations to higher office, but we'll see. And maybe that'll be good for the whole state. We'll see what happens. So there are a couple other things then that sort of come into question with that. What are some of your biggest concerns about cycling in Jersey City? And maybe will this perhaps new mayor, whoever he or she is, address them? I mean, how will you go back and, and you know, have that same kind of discourse between the candidates? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Um, you know, since we did it the first time, we we wanted to do it again. And we just didn't quite have the manpower and the hours to put it together because it was a lot of organizing. And, and that organization, um, Safe Streets JC, kind of fell apart. Their leader moved out of town. Um, but that organization has since been revived with some new, new, um, new fresh blood. And they are like going really strong now again. So I think at the next election in Jersey City, the next mayor election, it would be a time, it would be the time 
to to have another transportation forum and ask these potential candidates the same you know the same sort of questions so what's the best part about biking in jersey city well right now other than the weather right now which sucks because yeah well the weather's not great but um I mean the the amount of the the amount of miles of protected bike lane that have been built, um, and yeah, that was the other thing I wanted to mention too. Like after we got the Vision Zero proclamation, then there was a task force formed, which I was a member of the task force, and and then there was an action plan drawn up, and and part of that action plan resulted in a bike master plan, to where that we actually have a, a great bicycle master plan for the entire city. So, you know, part of the progress is continuing to to follow that plan to build out more and more of the protected bike lane network, uh, which is is awesome because, you know, if if somebody wants to argue, you know, you can pull out the master plan and say, well, look right here on the master plan. It says this road is supposed to get a bike lane, you know, and and hey, city council, you signed off on this, you know, so you can hold them to it, you know, which is that's awesome. Is huge. Yeah. But essentially, you know, yeah, we need to continue to build out the 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 bike lane network according to the bike master plan. And and that's a great part of riding in Jersey City as more and more of these lanes get built. You see the number of people riding continue to increase, you know, so it's kind of it's at that maybe tipping point now. Um, and actually, one of the greatest things that happened over the last year was that right next to Jersey city is Hoboken, New Jersey and Hoboken, New Jersey uh, is also a vision zero city. Um, and by the way, both Hoboken and Jersey city haven't, uh, didn't have anyone die on city streets in the last year um, due to wow. crashes. So there's, there's results of vision zero showing. Um, but we got a, uh, we, we have in Jersey city, we had the um, city bike bike share system, which is the same as what's in New York. Right. And uh, Hoboken transferred their bike share system to city bike also, like within the last two years, I think. And now there's protected bike lane connecting between Jersey City and Hoboken. So you can get a city bike bike share in Hoboken and ride into Jersey City safely and dock it in Jersey City or vice versa. So it's kind of like the way, you know, you could do the same with a city bike between Queens and Manhattan or Brooklyn and Manhattan, you know. So that's that's really helpful. Um, and then I think the other really great part of, of biking in Jersey City is is the people, you know, the people that you meet um, out there. You know, it's like, again, like going back to how we, uh, you know, grew our board was through people seeing us out riding. Another thing that bike that bike JC does is light up rides, evening rides where we go out at night um, and and ride around where there's when there's when there's less traffic on the roads and everybody is it's a very festive ride uh, a lot of lights on the bikes um wheel lights all kinds of, i mean people have gotten really really artistic and and fun with their lighting setups and stuff um with you know with led lights there's there's all kinds of possibilities for creating incredible you know rich saturated colors of lights on bikes and you get a whole group of people you know 100 or 150 people all riding together all lit up you're extremely visible, so it's very safe. You know, uh, everybody sees you, and and then everybody goes, "Wow, what's that about?" You know, and then you right. get more people that want to join, and you know, and and you discover each other, and and you know that leads to more people getting on board with everything that Bike JC is trying to do. So, well, let's wrap up by talking about the Jersey City Ward Ride, and I'm assuming the word ward means you're riding from ward to ward as in you know uh precinct to precinct that kind of thing so uh yeah. it's june 5th coming up this year and i saw that you typically get around 2500 people which is very different from 10 years ago at 250 people so yeah. tell us a little bit about the ride it and how to get uh information about it yeah so it, it's it was it's always been called the ward tour for the exact reason that you said because there's six wards in Jersey City and the ride route has always been to include all of the wards so the route goes through all the wards of Jersey City actually at our at our 10th anniversary ride 
we included the neighboring towns of Bayonne and Hoboken as well. We and we actually did two routes, so there was like a long route and a shorter route. Um, we didn't do that last year. We had a couple years of COVID, like right. where we couldn't do the ride, so we missed two two years. Um, but essentially, the Ward Tour is is you know Bike JC's signature event, and um, it brings together just tons of people actually last year we broke 3000 riders oh that's awesome yeah it was really incredible there's all kinds of opportunities for people to get involved um there's always a need for volunteers to do all kinds of things marshalling on the ride um helping set up helping direct people into the start registration all there's a lot of different things that that if people want to volunteer and you know get involved in it that would be great you can do that through the the bike jc website which is bikejc.org how long is the ride what's the distance uh it's about 15 miles normally like that year that we did bayonne and hoboken included there was a 25 mile route and and a 15 mile route that just stayed in jersey city that that year putting that ride together was quite a bit more work because we were going outside of our municipality right. so we had to involve the police from the other two municipalities so it was kind of like a handoff you know of the of the group to from one police force to the other are the roads closed they're they're not it's a it's a rolling closure i should say they're they're closed to the point of when you're there you're not going to encounter and have to deal with cars it's not where the entire route is shut down for the whole day or for six hours or something like that. It's they there's a police escort in the front of the ride. There's police on the back of the ride. There's lots of marshals through the ride. So as it rolls through, it close off the cross street. So it's safe for everybody to get through. So what sounds so interesting, you know, people try to put together and I used to do a hundred mile ride and, it, you know, with with every 25 miles, there was a stop. And it is. It is so daunting to do that kind of thing. Now we have this linear park system that works really, really well for that kind of thing. But to go through the city for 15 miles, you know, cities are usually pretty congested. It seems to me this kind of ride would invite just everybody. Everybody can probably do 15 miles or certainly most everybody. It's not daunting in in distance. How about terrain? Is it fairly flat? Is it it is fairly flat. I mean, there are hills in Jersey City because you have the Palisade Cliffs, um, but we tr we've designed the route over the years to avoid most of the steepest hills, especially on the uphill climb. There's a nice couple hills that we come down, but to get to up to them, we take a roundabout way that's like you don't even really notice that you're slowly climbing. For the most part, there's a couple of little things, you know, and there are there's always slowdowns. The ride gets spread out, but, right. you know, then we'll pull the ride, you know, the, the people back together again at a at a spot. Um, but it's not daunting and it's very family friendly. I mean, we have a lot of a lot of people that will come out to the, the ward tour with a, you know, with a child carrier on the back or they might have a cargo bike with kids in it. Um, which we strongly encourage. <laughs> um, and there's there's kids riding their own bikes too. You know, there's I mean, I know I know families that have kids and the, and you know, once the kids get to a point where they're there's they're stable and they can ride, you know, they can hold a line and ride pretty straight and they're not wobbling too much, they can do 15 miles and and, and they're surrounded by all these other cyclists, so they're safe. Um, and, you know, and they feed off that energy of everybody riding together. And they once they finish, they want to do another 15. You know, the kids, yeah. the kids. Love it. Yeah, because kids don't know those kinds of limits. Well, Patrick, this, no, is, no, they don't. this has yeah. been fascinating. I really like to learn about other cities and what they're doing. Sounds like you're doing some really good work, you know, yeah. especially working with your uh, your legislation, not legislation. So I guess the mayor is a legislator. Yeah. Top yeah, with elected officials. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, of all the officials. And the uh the ward ride. We've been speaking with Patrick Conlon from Bike Jersey City, bikejc.org. If you want more information, log in. And I really appreciate you taking time to talk with me today. Yeah, sure. No problem. I mean, we also have all the typical social media stuff too. There's, you know, bike JCs on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. And a lot of a lot of information goes out that way as well. As as and actually, if you go to the website, there's a place where you can sign up to receive our emails, which is really good because that's real like like 
on point information. Our email list is pretty, it's not like we don't use it a ton, but when we want to tell people about something, then we'll, then we'll get an email out there. That's yeah. great. Well, I hope you have a great ride this year. Once again, thanks for talking with me. I hope uh, no problem. spring is coming. Yeah. Okay. Outspoken cyclist. You guys rock. Thank you. Thank you. My thanks to Patrick Conlon for joining me today. If you are interested in learning more about Bike JC and the Ward Ride, you can log on to bikejc.org. My thanks once again to David Goodrich for joining me to talk about his new book, On Freedom Road. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Coming up soon is a conversation with two young folks representing yours, Youth for Road Safety an international organization that is doing the difficult work of trying to reduce the number of young people killed on our roads worldwide. We'll also meet the new editor-in-chief of Adventure Cyclist magazine as the publication launches a whole new look for 2023. You can subscribe to the Outspoken Cyclist podcast on your favorite app so you never miss an episode. Our website, outspokencyclist.com, offers show notes, photos, links, and a download for every episode. You can leave a comment there, too. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter if you like. I hope you're gearing up for a great 2023 cycling season. Stay safe, stay well, and remember, there is always time for a ride. Bye-bye. Joining us today on The Outspoken Cyclist with Diane Jenks. We welcome your thoughts and contributions on our Facebook page, or visit OutspokenCyclist.com to leave a comment on any episode. We will be back next week with new guests, topics, conversations, and news from the world of cycling. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode. The Outspoken Cyclist is a copyrighted production of DBL Promotions with the assistance of WJCU-FM Cleveland, a service of John Carroll University. Thanks again for listening, ride safely, and we'll see you next week.